This is the first retreat I have been face-to-face with old friends. It's so good to see you, and (laughs) I didn't realize it would be so emotional. Your faces are so beautiful, the faces of practice. So thank you for that. My friends on Zoom, some of you far away. Yes, hello. (laughs) So nice. We have one beloved Sangha member who is in another country far away, and he gets up often to attend our weekly sits, and it must be, I don't know, three or four in the morning. And he just gets up, and sometimes he falls asleep. It's so precious, right? So first, I want to express my gratitude that you're here. And also to the monastery. So I lived here for a year and I left last October. Suddenly one day, my mother who's 82 had a cardiac event and so suddenly I left and then I didn't return. She passed away and I cared for her in home hospice. It was a lovely time. So it feels so nice to be back and to see in a short period of a year so much beautiful growth. And I'm so deeply appreciative that in these times in the world, not just here, but so many places, people in ones or twos or fives or fifties or five hundreds are sitting together clarifying their confusion and wishing the world well. I like to think of that every morning when I get up, every night when I go to bed, I think, oh, I'm tired, I can't practice more, but somebody somewhere, some nun, some monk, some mother, some teenage son, some precocious eight-year-old is sitting somewhere practicing. My son used to practice. What are you doing? I'm practicing. (laughs) Comforting. So I'm grateful to be back to the monastery to have the support so that you and I can come and explore Dharma together. So I will try to unfold the concepts of this retreat slowly. Just a little bit, a sip at a time. But sometimes when we hear Dharma, especially in the beginning, it's like trying to take a sip out of a fire hydrant. (laughs) Right? Rush. (laughs) So much to experience. So I want to mention before we begin that there are teachers on this retreat. One 
Of course, I have the honor to be here. And when I was thinking about that today, I was remembering a story that my, my main guru, Karma Sonam Rinchen, told me on my first retreat. I had, in those days, a lot of social anxiety, and so I was not feeling so excited about retreat. And so I was his uh, assistant for the retreat, and that was good for me, busy, staying busy with things to do. And just before the retreat started, he said, Olekshe. I said, yes, Lama. He said, one thing I, I didn't tell you. And I said, yes. I thought, oh, I'm already so scared, you know, that I'll make a mistake on the retreat or something. It's 35 years ago. And he said, you are the only person on this retreat who is not enlightened. I didn't know if he was kidding or <laughs> if it was true. I truly didn't know. I thought, oh, I didn't know. And then I said, just this retreat. I was thinking, what about the staff? And he said, well, well, I wasn't going to tell you because I know you're a little stressed, but actually you're the last one. <laughs> and I said, what are we talking about here? And he said, you are the last one in the world. The last one. And they're waiting. So please practice with all of your heart. Because as soon as you're enlightened, they can all go home. <laughs> that was a little pressure. And then he said, I said, what, what does this mean? I still wasn't sure if he was really telling the truth or not. You know? And he said, what it means is every person on this retreat is a bodhisattva. They're only here for your awakening. So whatever they do, however they appear to you, is precisely what you need for your next step towards enlightenment. If they tell you something wise and kind, precisely what you needed to hear in that precise moment, because that's what enlightened beings do. And if they are angry and they hurt you, precisely the next step towards enlightenment, because that's what enlightened beings do. So whatever happens on this retreat is precisely what you need. So as much as you can, open your heart and take those teachings in and make as much progress as you can. It didn't work. <laughs> but I think this is a good way to do retreat, to think that whatever happens on this treat, retreat, if you go out to get something from your car and the squirrels have eaten the wiring in your car, just know that's your retreat. If you pick up a precious object in the monastery and you drop it on the floor and you feel a wave of regret, that's your retreat. There's nothing that will happen to you while you're here that's not your retreat. So everyone here is your teacher. Everyone, if you will let them be. And then there's another very important teacher on this retreat, and that's your own self-awareness.
So as you listen, as you hear, as you think, as you feel, as you eat, as you clean, always part of your awareness turned inside. What am I learning? What am I seeing? What am I feeling? This is also your teacher. The Tibetans like to say that all students are like pots. Have you heard this? <laughs> there are three kinds of, well, there's one kind of functional pot. That's the good student, you know. The other ones are so more interesting. But the first kind of pot that's not really working is like this. It's upside down. You could pour the elixir of enlightenment on this pot, and it would just wash away into the earth, nothing Nothing changed. So my teacher used to say, don't be that pot. Then there's a pot that's already full. Ideas, experiences, opinions. I heard that. I've had this teaching before. All of that filled up constructs, things from your parents, things from your education, things from previous religions, stuff you read in the New Yorker yesterday. It's so full that no matter what dharma is given, it just spills out and it mixes in in kind of a confusing muck. So we have to somehow open our heart and make space and maybe even drop some things or uh, it seems hard to drop them sometimes. Maybe just put them to the side and think, I heard something different before, but all right, I'll make room for hearing it this way and put it aside and make space, and then maybe the biggest space maker of all is uncertainty. Like, I just don't know. So you hear something and you think, really? And then just pause and just think, yeah, I really don't know. And that just makes space for something new. Maybe it won't replace the old way, but just the space to let it be and let it percolate in the way that Dharma does. And the third pot, I was this pot a lot in the beginning, is pot that has a little hole in the bottom. And whatever is poured into that pot leaks out the bottom. And so you can pour and pour and pour into that pot and is always empty, always empty. Maybe, maybe the hole comes from and I really don't feel judgmental toward this because I really had a hole in my pot for a long time. Maybe it comes from not having had training in mindfulness and presence. Or maybe it comes, maybe you're wired in your body and your mind in such a way that what goes in goes out quickly. There are some upsides to that too, right? Things are fresh and new each time you do them. But you can remember those pots and try to be the upright pot. And you will know if you are or you aren't by your self-awareness. And then a third teacher that's on this retreat with you is your body. And the beautiful thing about the teacher of the body is it messages you thousands of times in a day, but never in concept, never in words, always feelings, always sensations, always a kind of knowing. And so listen to that teacher, but you have to find a way to listen 
to something other than ideas and words. So more feelings, more sensations. And then the last teacher is the Dharma itself. So when I was in India last time, that was be 2013, I was walking down the hallway in the monastery where I studied there, and there was a little boy. And it's hard to tell how old the monks are because many of them come from the village and didn't have good nutrition as children. So they're very small, even though they might be seven or eight years old. But he had a stack of Dharma texts, and he was sitting outside of his room. Many boys share that room. And he was rubbing the Dharma text on his body, on his head, on his neck, and his cheeks. And so I asked him in Nepali, what are you doing? And he said, I'm learning the Dharma. I said, that's, that's really good. I thought he meant he was going to school, and my Nepali's not so good, you know? And I said, so you're learning the Dharma? And he said, yes, Ani, nun, sister, it's going inside. And I said, oh, from the rubbing. Yes, yes, I want to be like Kempo Rinpoche. I want to know this whole text by heart. And the way I'm going to do it is I'm going to put it on my head and it will soak into my knowing, into my heart, into my belly, into my brain. I hadn't thought of that. So the, the Dharma is like that. And I encourage you, hold your chant book because you never know. You can put it on your head, it's okay, it's respectful. You never know. But open in that way to the Dharma, listening not just for the concepts, but even sometimes if you're very tired and the teaching is very long, just relax the mind and let the words soak in through the skin and let the words settle into your bones. Or sometimes maybe you're sitting in the hallway and you're thinking about Dharma that you heard. And then just stop thinking and let the whole thing settle into the being. I don't even know the words for that in English, but I believe from experience that we can learn the Dharma in this way. When my children were little, I used to recite mantra and Dharma to them. And I just hoped, like you never know, maybe it would stick. So those are teachers, and there will be more. And then you can follow whatever teachings you get from the teachers, from the other people on retreat, from your body, from the Dharma itself from holding a Dharma book, or looking at a Dharma book, or hearing the Dharma in the forest when you're walking. All of those ways, and then of course you can follow up with the three wisdoms. You can listen, you can study, you can contemplate, you can meditate. And then I am a very big fan of making experiments with whatever you learn. Give me a Kleenex. Thanks. With whatever you learn, so you try it. Hard to get your tuition worth if you don't try these things. 
And then before we sit, I just want to say one more thing. As much as you can on this retreat, try for continuous practice. So if we practice here in the zendo and then we walk in the hallway and we drop the practice, it's good that we practiced in here. That's very, very beneficial. But it's geometrically better if you can carry it. So those of you that study at Dekiling, thank you so much. Know that we're always trying to think of ways there that we can carry the practice into whatever we do. So I made a little list to remind me to remind you. One is when you hear instruction, of course, try to stay present so that you can receive it. And remember that there's dharma in all of the ritual that we do, the ritual of bowing. So when you're doing that, please don't do it because someone suggested that you should, but ask yourself, what's the dharma in that? How does it, how does it help me to be liberated to do this bowing? Who am I bowing to and why? And why in this way? Making offerings. You can, you know, this is a Vajrayana retreat, so you can come in tomorrow morning a few minutes early and you can visualize a candle and then you can visualize two candles and then four and then eight and 16 and 32 and the sky full of candles and you can fill the whole sky with glorious offerings to the Buddhas and Bodhisattvas, the spirits, the formed beings, the formless beings, for all beings. as also practice. <clears throat> Your silence is practice. Some practice is additive, right? We do something, and then it's dharma, and sometimes we don't do something, and that's dharma too. Silence is like that. Tomorrow we'll have the beautiful ceremony of formal tea. That's dharma, chanting, that's dharma. And I will try to remember as you finish a session and you leave, I'll try to always have a little suggestion for you. Now while you work, do this. Now while you eat, do this. And I won't know if you do it or not, but at least you'll have those in your pocket when you leave the retreat. And then everything you do tomorrow morning, just before you put your feet on the floor, when you hear the bell and you decide to get up, when you put your feet on the floor, make it dharma. May these feet walk on the path of truth. When you pull your pants on, may I be clothed in morality, compassion, wisdom. Whatever you do, make it dharma. If you have a pen and you have some time, you can write little one-sentence instructions for yourself. And if all of that is too much to remember, just everything that you do when you put on your shirt, you think, I put on this shirt for others. I put on my shoes, I put on these shoes for others, I put on these socks, I eat, I eat for others, I drink this tea for others. That's practice. 
And then when you go to sleep at night, Make practice of that. Don't just fall into a state of ignorance, but do something simple. See if you can catch the moment when you shift the mind state from waking to sleeping, something like that. Or visualize Buddha in your heart place and just radiating wisdom light and fall asleep with that intention that you might be a being filled with light. And if you have the instructions and if you know how, then when you are sleeping and you are dreaming, wake up in your dream and practice for all beings because this life is so short. It's so precious and it's so short and it will be over. We know that for sure, but we don't know when. And we don't know how. So while you have it, use it. And before you know it, these three days will be over, of course, like just a flash of lightning in the sky or a little burst of wind. But everything that you do on this retreat, every breath that you breathe as Dharma, every thought that you turn towards Dharma, scatters seeds in your consciousness. And they're not done when the retreat is done. They go on and on. And that's true for the things that you do. And it's also true for the things that you don't do. So be so intentional with these 50 hours or whatever it is we have together. Do as much as you can. So many of the texts on the, on the long retreat that I went on said, practice like your hair is on fire. And I think that's such a great, a great image. So let's settle into the body. If you move your body a little bit, you'll find a posture which for you is upright and dignified. but relaxed. And sometimes if you move just a little bit to the right or to the left, you'll find a sweet balance point. And then let go of this afternoon and this morning. And yesterday. And last year. And the first year of COVID. All those things are gone. No sense entertaining the future now. And come to the home of your body.
I think it's helpful when we enter the gate of the body to come with gratitude. And then be intimate with your own body experience. All those messages, you're alive. Your knee hurts, you're alive. You're breathing, you're alive. Feel the connection of your body with the earth, with your cushion. Grounded, steady. And now direct your awareness to your breath. Absolutely no need to change a single breath. You know exactly how to breathe. But be curious. Let the attention rest against the breath like a feather on the belly of a baby, just lightly. Lightly riding the breath. And when you have settled in this way, then if the preliminaries are part of your practice, you can take refuge. I take refuge in the Buddha the historical Buddha, all Buddhas throughout space and time. I take refuge in the inner Buddha, my own awakened nature. I take refuge in the Dharma, the teachings of Shakyamuni Buddha, the teachings of all wisdom beings throughout space and time. And the Dharma, which is phenomena arising, every experience, some teaching there, some truth offering itself. I take refuge in the Sangha, the community of friends along the path. I take refuge in the Buddha. I take refuge in the Dharma. I take refuge in the Sangha. I take refuge in the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. 
And now let your heart travel all around the world and feel the suffering of the world. Maybe your heart goes to a specific place that you know and there's a particular kind of suffering there that you're familiar with. Maybe you think of the women there or the children or the farmers or the dogs. And then when you feel the suffering deeply and you think, oh, I wish I could help, and let that feeling grow until it encompasses all suffering of all beings throughout space and time. And from that place, make a determination, I will be awake in this session. I will do my best in this session. I will practice Dharma. And then settle again into meditation, reestablish the clarity and stillness, join awareness to the breath and leave it there. And any time you find you are distracted, the moment you notice the distraction, just come back to the breath, no judgment, no commentary. Just join the awareness to the breath and continue again, ever so simply. (laughs) 